Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listen in colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning. This is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business meet the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Claudine Adeyemi, founder and CEO of, amongst other businesses, Career Ear, a careers advice and recruitment platform enabling employers to engage with young, diverse, quality talent. As a child, Claudine wanted to be a doctor until she was put off by watching Holby City in Casualty, the negative effects of television, no less. But age 11, a new ambition rose forth to be a lawyer. What a fine ambition it was, too. Ambitious and academically strong, she was nonetheless tested. Claudine had lost her mum when she was five, and she moved out of home at the age of 16 after a fallout with her father. While staying in a hostel, as she says, the disruptions were really tough. My neighbour had parties all the time and I could have thought, it's too difficult to focus, I'd rather have fun. But when I have something I want to achieve, it's difficult to let that go. Her focus paid off and after law school she joined Mishkondorea as an associate specialising in real estate litigation. In 2014, Claudine founded the student development company, the SDC, a not-for-profit organisation providing career-related support to young people from less privileged backgrounds. To date, the SDC has supported over a 1,000 young people and their Ask a Professional initiative, a monthly Q&A session with an industry professional, led Claudine to launch Career Ear as a mobile app in 2016 to help individuals outside London access professionals. We'll be talking to Claudine in a few minutes about all of this and how Career Ear is growing and why it's vital to break down the barriers that young people face. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, Lee Morgan, Lauren Hill and Abdullah Ibrahim. That is today's Jazz Shapers. Here's Alice Clark and Never Did I Stop Loving You. That was Alice Clark with another brilliantly soulful number here on Jazz Shapers. Never did I stop loving you. I love it when I say number. I feel like my father. Uh, I'm Elliot Moss and this is Jazz Shapers. My business shaper today, as I said earlier, is Claudine Adeyemi. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. We know each other because obviously we have worked together and I don't have many people on the programme at all that have worked at Mishkondorea, but I have interviewed many lawyers who have gone on to do other things. Now, Tell me about, firstly, how it was that you decided you want to become a lawyer. Let's start there. It's not the most inspiring story. I had this vision of, I guess, wanting to do something relatively prestigious. And in hindsight, having looked back, it's kind of the cultural pressures that come from, I mean, I'm half Jamaican, half Nigerian. Um, So those pressures where they kind of expect you to kind of achieve great things academically and then career-wise. And so originally I thought I'd be a doctor. Um, And as you've mentioned, I kind of watched a couple of TV programs like Casualty and was really put off by the blood and thought I need to rethink this. Um, I was very young at that time, so there wasn't any particular... um, methodology to kind of coming up with with what I wanted to do but um, switched from there to becoming a lawyer at some point 
that was reinforced by watching a bit of Legally Blonde. Um, and um, <laughs> ultimately, it just stuck. Um, and so I found that I was studying subjects and enjoying subjects and enjoying certain skills that I started to learn complemented being a lawyer. Mm. And the, the rest is kind of history, as I say. As I mentioned it, when I introduced that you were coming on the programme, you, you had a pretty tough childhood. You grew up in South London, I think, as well. To get to become a professional, usually you need one needs quite a lot of guidance, quite a lot of help, a really um, strong uh, structure around you. It feels like you had to create all of that yourself. Yeah, I don't profess to come from poverty or anything like that. Um, it wasn't that bad. I think the problem was that, um, well, one, we were in a single parent household. My mum passed away when I was quite young. So my dad raised my brother and I. And we just weren't connected. So I didn't know professionals. I didn't even know anyone that had been to university. And it kind of just made that difficult because there was no one to turn to to get advice about what you should be thinking about doing, how to figure out career paths, how to think about what you should be studying and just how to prepare, getting that kind of work experience. We can go into the office um, and see what it's like and, and start building those networks and leaning on things like that. So um, just didn't have that kind of support structure in place and how to figure that out for myself. So my school, um, because I was quite academic, kind of got behind me a little bit. So I was able to kind of grasp a couple of opportunities that came up um, through that. So for example, I was able to go into a city law firm whilst I was still at school and do a week's work experience, which was really cool. Um, but I also do things off my own back. So at 16, I had my CV in hand, which had next to nothing on it, walked down my local high street and went into every single law firm I could find and asked them to take me for a week or a day or anything. Um, managed to get into one, went back the following summer, went back again. Um, and that was really my first foray into, into the legal environment. And it was... I guess for me, it discounted wanting to kind of be in a high street law firm, but that was a really useful experience in itself. And that was kind of where I started building up my networks and, and knowledge. And then outside of that, as I said, just kind of creating those opportunities. So I remember a friend that I'd gone to primary school with that I hadn't seen for a while, then came to my sixth form and I got chatting to her and she said, my dad's a barrister. And I was like, okay, you need to connect me. I need to go and shadow him. And that's what I ended up doing. So it's just kind of thinking outside the box and and trying to kind of, I guess, network before I even knew what networking was really about um, and trying to kind of create and or grasp opportunities that came my way. So you're talking about the law. I mean, the law is a serious profession. It, it's demanding. Obviously, you talked about your high level of academia, or academic qualifications and academic ability. Having been a lawyer or still being a lawyer, and we'll talk about this kind of the double, the double world that you're in at the moment. Tell me about the two or three top skills that you have developed in the time that you have been practicing the law and part two of that question is, and how has that helped you as you've now gone and founded some businesses? I think one of the the, the top things, and actually it's interesting because I've been reflecting on this quite recently, um, one of the top things that I've realised about myself is that um, I really enjoy problem solving. Um, and so practising um, as a lawyer was an opportunity for me to hone in those skills um, in a kind of complex legal problem environment um, but those skills are transferable, right? So those have then allowed me to kind of take that, I guess, combination of being able to analyze the situation, think critically about it, ideate solutions, and either kind of come up with things that I can then implement or sharing my conclusions and giving advice to others. And so I've been able to take that into this environment, uh, running a business in all sorts of different areas um, from coming up with um, what the product should look like and what we're doing with the product 
through to challenges that we faced from a financial perspective, from a marketing perspective. Yeah, all sorts of different things. Um, so I think, yeah, problem solving is probably the number one thing. Uh, I think the other thing that I probably developed much more in my professional career was the networking side of things. And I really find networking to be a bit of a dirty word. I hate the word itself. But building relationships, basically. And that's, again, followed me through. Uh, so I've done a lot of that with the the work I've been doing with Career Ear since I've been out of the legal space. And I think that particularly, so we were kind of doing some fundraising and stuff as well. So particularly we're thinking about that. So getting out there to events, getting in front of investors, um, getting in front of potential customers as well. Uh, so yeah, that's been quite interesting. Just give me your one-liner on, if you were to tell someone exactly what the student development company did and exactly what career it did, if you were pitching to me as a potential investor, what would you say they, they stood for? So the student development company was a non-profit organisation that provided ad hoc career-related advice, support and guidance offline. I don't know if you want me to go into more detail, but... That no, was that's a good of... elevator pitch. <laughs> and Career Ear? Um, so Career Ear um, is an intelligent careers advice, discovery and recruitment platform. So we're helping employers engage and employ young quality diverse talent and plugging the gap that's left behind by schools not having the resources and ability to provide the right careers advice and guidance to young people. And just having the chance to talk to you like this, it, it makes me think that it is not a coincidence that your own childhood, you found ways through, you found the opportunities, but you're a driven person, you're an intelligent person, you have other skills and tools that perhaps many people don't that, that come from uh, less privileged backgrounds. And uh, you talked about you weren't poor and stuff like that, but you still had a pretty rough ride, as it were. Do you think about it like that? Was that the impetus for creating the student development company in the first place? Absolutely. So I think for me... Um, I don't. I didn't kind of realise, obviously, at eleven, that the career that I wanted was in an industry that was super elitist, that had low representation of black people, of women, um, and so when I kind of arrived, I realised that I was more the exception to the rule, um, and that you know, I knew lots of people who had similar ambitions, whether it was legal or other um, careers, who hadn't quite achieved those things. Um, and then kind of looking at the research that's out there and working directly with young people just kept seeing these kind of challenges. Um, and so it absolutely was the reason why I set up the student development company in the first instance to kind of provide the platform that I would have benefited from um, when I was going through that journey, basically. And why was that important to you? Because you could have just said, well, I got, you know, I worked hard. I mean, if it, if we, if I embarrass you by telling you and remind everyone else that's listening, uh, you got four A's at A level, you got four A's at AS level, you went to London, a London university. UCL. UCL. Whether you're black, brown, white, a man or woman, these are exceptional results. And you could have just said, well, that was me. Thank you very much. What made you want to do something where you would be helping people? Um, I think um, I just felt an overwhelming duty to give back. Um, it's quite hard to describe that it, it just felt like it was a, almost like a calling, um, almost like I was I had a responsibility to do it. Um, I also definitely remember feeling out of place when I arrived at Mishcon, um, and not not because it's a reflection on the firm itself, because I think it's actually quite an inclusive environment. Um, but I do remember speaking to one of my supervisors at the time and being like, I I'm not going to last here. People are talking about, you know, Michelin star restaurants and art galleries and all these kind of really posh things. And I have no idea what they're talking about and can't participate. So I just kind of wanted to, I think for me in those environments, I wanted to make sure that I was doing something to contribute to making those environments more diverse and then ultimately more inclusive, which then is part of the reason why I then got involved in lots of DNI initiatives and things like that at Mishcon and then externally in it. 
has just evolved. <laughs> it has indeed evolved. We're going to hear much more about how it's evolved with my business shape. It's Claudine at EMA. She's coming back in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea. The name referenced a few times there. It's unusual here, but there you go. And they've got some advice for your business. Hello, I'm Joe Hancock, head of cyber for Mishkondorea. Cybercrime is a major issue in the UK at the moment. You're more likely to be a victim of cybercrime than you are to be a physical crime. It's an issue that affects all of us, both in our personal lives and our professional lives. We see more and more about it in news headlines every day. So how do these cyber attacks happen? Are these actually done by some person wearing a hoodie sat behind a computer somewhere? Does a green skull and crossbones appear flashing on the screen when someone carries out a successful cyber attack? Do you hear the sound of money disappearing from your bank account? Unfortunately, none of these things happen. A successful cyber attack really shows no signs. So what do you do if you think you've been a victim of a cyber attack at home? There's some really good advice actually from Action Fraud, which is to take five and tell two. Take five minutes to think about what's happened. Is this something that's too good to be true? Most cyber attacks delivered towards people rely on pressure. They want you to do something quickly. They really don't want you to think. So just think, is this actually your bank calling you to say that someone's deposited a large amount of money in your account that you can access? Is this really Microsoft ringing you to say there's a problem with your computer and they need to access it remotely? These things sound unbelievable now, but with some high-pressure techniques behind them are unfortunately very successful. So what do you need to do in these circumstances? As I've said, first of all, think. If you're not sure, take some time. Take some time to tell someone and get external advice. This applies as much in our business lives as it does in our personal lives. If you receive an email at work with a suspect attachment, something like an invoice or a random PDF document that you don't recognise, again, speak to a colleague and take some time to think about it. So we work with clients every day to deal with these issues, to help them protect themselves and identify when these problems have happened. If in doubt, it's always best to seek the advice of an expert or external party. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed hear this programme again by asking Alexa, the very kind Alexa, sitting somewhere in your house, to play Jazz Shapers. And there you can hear many of the recent programmes. Or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, then the full archive awaits. We have had some brilliant Shapers over the last seven plus, almost eight years. Hard to believe. Back to today's guest, so it's Claudine Adeyemi. She's the founder and CEO of Career, a careers advice and recruitment platform. And if you were listening earlier, and I hope you were, she also founded the student development company. So we were talking about transferable skills. We're talking about the calling to do this thing. You took some time out from, uh, well, actually, at first you didn't. You did both at once, didn't you? The student development company, you were still working yeah. at Mishcon, and, yeah. and you did that. Tell me about, because people talk about the side hustle, how hard was that first phase of doing two things at once? To begin with, it wasn't, too bad because I've always been one of those people that tends to have other projects on the side and things. But there was then a point where I was doing uh, the day job, the student development company, and then obviously I spun out career, so I was doing all three. That got quite challenging. So there were a lot of four, five a.m. starts, fitting in bits of bits, bits and pieces before work, um, then evenings and weekends. Uh, so it's quite intense. Um, fortunately. Mishcon's super supportive, so I also got to kind of be a bit more flexible with um, my working day, which was really nice. Um, so popping out to schools, well, sixth forms, colleges and things like that where I needed to um, give talks and things like that because obviously if you're working hard, the trade-off is that, you know, you can have a bit of flexibility in your day, which I was really grateful for, um, which I don't think you find in many working environments. Um, so that helped a lot. Um, but yeah, it was intense. And so it definitely got to a point where it was just like, 
well, we have starting to get a bigger vision for what we can achieve with career. And I won't be able to continue doing both really well. And I am not someone that likes to be doing something and not doing it well. So, yeah, it got a bit too difficult to do all three. So then recently, about, I don't know how long ago, about a year ago or so, is it? Yeah, it was over a year ago. You you took a sabbatical from the law and Mm -hmm. you're now fully focused. How has that been? Is that transformational in terms of your ability to focus on what the thing you really need to look at? It goes in waves. It's been quite a challenging transition in some respects, but amazing. Um, So just being out of a space where you have a structure, you know exactly what needs to be done every day, but also that you're super focused on just your job. Um, Whereas now I am, I guess, the service, but I am also the IT department and the accounts department and the HR department. Um, So that's been, um, yeah, quite the transition. But I've learned so much so quickly. And I think you, well, for me, I learn really quickly and well when you're under that kind of pressure where you have no choice but to learn it. Um, So that's been an interesting journey. And in terms of the workload, and I'm just going to go back to that time when you were doing all three and getting up at four or five, I read somewhere that you schedule downtime. This is an important thing that you have noticed. <laughs> She's laughing. Of course she doesn't schedule downtime. It's just what she tells people when they ask her a question. How do you handle it, downtime. So, And what is your downtime? How do you defibrillate? How do you get your head refreshed and refocused again after being under a lot of stress and, as you said, being the HR department, the IT department, the, the everything department? <laughs> um, so... There's a couple of things. The key thing for me is swimming. Um, So I took up swimming a few years ago. I used to know how to swim when I was a kid and then didn't swim for 10 years. And this is like a true story. Jumped into a pool in Tunisia and almost drowned. I was like, oh, okay, I've forgotten how to swim. So I started adult lessons about four years ago now. Um, And that was specifically with a holiday that I'd booked with my family um, in mind. I was like, I'm going to learn how to swim before this holiday. So again, putting that pressure on to to try and learn um, in advance. And so that's what I did. And then I kind of kept it up, kind of. So I'd usually go a few months off and then a few months on, but kept doing that. And what I found was that... For me, it's like nice to be doing something where I'm learning. So I'm still constantly learning to be a better swimmer. But swimming for me gives me the headspace that I just don't get doing anything else because I'm so focused on my breathing and my stroke to avoid drowning and dying that I can't think (laughs) about work. I can't think about any of the stresses. So I get 45 minutes an hour um, of headspace and I come out re-energized. Not because of the exercise, because I hate exercise, but because (laughs) of just having had that headspace. Um, And then the other thing... So in terms of the scheduling downtime, yes, my swimming class and things are in my diary, but sometimes I do actually put in my diary, like catch up on my box sets so that I've got time to just sit down and chill out because otherwise I rarely get time to watch my shows. Tell me about um, career specifically and tell me about also how you are managing all these multiple roles and whether you've now managed to get a bit of a team around you, whether it's a full-time team or a virtual team. Career... As I said before, it's an intelligent careers advice and recruitment platform. Um, What we're doing is rather than just kind of building a jobs board and encouraging students to kind of go on there and and look for opportunities, we're building a space where they can actually explore their different options, discover their skills um, in an engaging, gamified environment. They can ask questions to industry professionals as they're kind of going on this career discovery journey and then they can access opportunities. And the idea is that they are then accessing opportunities that are relevant to them, relevant to their interests, relevant to their skills. And then the benefit for the employers is that they are then receiving um, interest and applications to their roles um, and actually things that aren't necessarily roles. So it may be events and insight days and things like that as well um, from these students who are 
using a platform to further and advance their careers so they're really interested and, and serious about it. But they are also interested in those particular industries and companies and um, they're, they're matched in terms of the skills. So that's kind of what we're doing with Career Ear. In terms of the stage that we're at, I recruited a co-founder in to join me. Um, her name's Precious and she's awesome. And so she's been working with me for most of this year now and we get on really well and she is like fills all the gaps on the tech side because I know nothing about tech. Well, I say nothing, but I've learned a lot. Um, you know what but, you want it to do, but doesn't mean necessarily you know how to do it. Yeah, I've had to learn a lot, um, but she is the expert, which is great. And then, and we're a total team right now of about eight. So we've got a couple of developers, and we've got Precious, we've got uh, someone that leads on our impact because that's quite important for us to be make, making sure that we're actually measuring that we're having making a difference to the lives of these young people. Um, and then we kind of work with um, an L&D expert as well well so to make sure that we're getting it right in terms of learning and development sorry yes learning and development so in the parlance well. just in case i'm sure <laughs> many of you already knew that but for those of you who didn't there you go. and to make sure we're getting it right in terms of how we think about the interest and the skills and things like that um, and support both the employers but also the students um, and then a couple of others who help out in terms of engaging with the colleges and reaching out to employers and things like that so yeah we're building up a bit of a team and yeah trying to get us into a position where we can actually bring on proper full-time staff so we're still relatively early because a lot of them are kind of fitting it around other commitments like what I was doing previously. And how have you found managing people? Because again, as a young lawyer, you don't get much of an opportunity to do that. You might be managing a client and a problem, but it's unlikely you're going to have have six or seven or eight people to be responsible for, not only in terms of human beings and in their own development, but also in terms of tasks that you're not necessarily an expert in. What have you learned about yourself and your management style over these last few months and a bit longer? Yeah, so I've actually invested quite a lot of time in trying to, one, figure out what my style is and how I work, but also how to be a better leader and manager. The two, I think, are very different. I also have kind of developed a philosophy that investing in people is kind of the, the absolute key. Um, and so the way that I traditionally did that, particularly having started out with the student development company, but also with career with volunteers, was that the kind of offer was you can come and kind of work with us. You tell us what skills you're, you're interested in developing. You tell us where you're trying to get to in your career. And we can try and build a role around that that will help you get there. And I will also mentor you. I'll give you support. I'll connect you in with my network. And so it's about building a kind of environment where you're almost kind of developing people out of the business. But I think that's really important um, to kind of, uh, gen if you're going to genuinely invest in someone's development. Um, and so we've had quite a few <laughs> leave us um, and go off and become trainees and go off into investment banks and all sorts of different things, which I'm really proud of. But it does mean that I have to then look for new people. So that's one of the key things um, that I think is really important to me regularly checking in with um, the people that are working with us to make sure that not just that they're happy in the roles that they're doing and that they understand what they're doing, but also that we are supporting them to develop to be the best version of themselves. And do you now look at the world slightly differently being the employer rather than the employee? Has it taught you stuff that you went, oh, maybe it's not quite as easy as I thought it was? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, Tricky, isn't it? Yeah, Can there be. are some, yeah, there's all sorts of kind of competing issues that crop up. Um, and I remember kind of thinking about, so obviously with, 
I, I keep referencing Mishcon, but um, obviously in that environment where you're kind of professional services and you've got the earning and all of that kind of thing and thinking about the balance between, for example, how you make the temp, how you decide when you're going to actually bring in new employees and balancing that against where the next piece of work is going to come from. At the time, probably didn't have much appreciation for how difficult that is, particularly where, yeah, it's it's you can't guarantee that you're going to kind of be able to bring in a large case, for example, that's going to kind of feed everyone for um, the foreseeable future. So things like that have I've learned to appreciate a lot more, particularly when looking at kind of managing our finances and budgets and forecasting what that might look like, but building in those buffers for when things might not go to plan, or you might be paid on time and all these types of things. Um, yeah, it's been quite an interesting journey. <laughs> Stay with me for my final chat with Claudine. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Ibrahim Abdullah. Stay with us, don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Abdullah Ibrahim with Mandela. I'm with Claudine Adiemi just for a few more minutes. It strikes me, Claudine, you, you mentioned it early on, you're a young woman, you're a professional, you happen to be black. Is the role model thing a thing for you? Because obviously what you've done is created two organisations which are now doing extraordinary things and reaching out to people. As you said, you had that calling to help people because they give them the things that you didn't have. Do you think of yourself as a role model? Do you get do people talk to you like that? What's Is there a relationship you have with that notion of you being some sort of symbol? Yeah, it's a really difficult one. Um, I get very, um, what's the word? Um, cringy about being referred to as a role model. But at the same time, I very intentionally became quite visible. I, I always reference this, actually. Um, I went to an event once. It was a law event, networking, and it was a mixture of different levels. And there were these two girls there who were um, doing their A-levels, which I thought was really impressive that they were at a networking event and they were only doing their A-levels. And having a conversation with them and and they seemed very bright and very um, had like high potential. And they turned around and said that they were really keen to um, practice at a high street law firm, which is fine. Um, but when I asked them why, they said because they knew that they wouldn't be able to get into or fit into the corporate kind of law environment. And I think that was kind of a turning point for me where I kind of realized, yes, I am kind of doing all these things and and wanting to kind of give back, but I needed to be visible as a black woman in law and now in entrepreneurship as well mm-hmm. to kind of encourage people to make sure that they feel that they also belong in those environments, basically. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of have to accept that I have become somewhat of a role model um, and that's just yeah something that I bear. Well I can use the word inspire even if you can't because it's not cringy to me I think it is inspiring number one future leader on the empire ethnic minority role model list that was last year rising star at the UK diversity legal awards that was last year too but it gets some awards this year Claudine she's <laughs> slacking fellow at the um, NEF Fast Track Centre for Entrepreneurs since 2019 World Economic Forum Global Shaper since 2018 it goes on these are good things, but they keep you busy. So how are you keeping your head while whilst all around you might be losing theirs? Because these are choppy waters we're in, in, in terms of politics, in terms of economics. How do you ensure that you keep the flag flying for the things that you believe in? I think that everyone um, will have different things that they're passionate about. 
And so for me, I'm really passionate about the development of people and skills and thinking about what our future looks like, but the human element, not just the tech side, and really preparing for that, but also how that impacts on diversity and inclusion as well. And then in terms of the balance how I manage that is with difficulty, um, to be perfectly honest. You go through kind of periods where um, I do feel on top of it. You go through other periods where you feel completely overwhelmed. I probably have a maybe a six monthly review of all the thing, different things I'm doing and all the different hats I'm wearing. And in my last one, definitely chopped a few out uh, so that I wouldn't burn out. Um, so it's just about kind of keeping keeping it all in the forefront of my mind and making sure that I don't get lectured by my dad too frequently about doing too much <laughs> an occasional lecture is all right if it, <laughs> if it comes from a good place and it's always well intentioned so that's cool it's been great talking to you carry on doing what you're doing Thank you. carry on being a role model even if you find that slightly cringy i think it's <laughs> incredibly important there aren't many real ones i think you're a real one um so good luck with everything going forward and i hope you continue to shape the world around you as opposed to it shaping you thank you just before i let you go what's your song choice and why have you chosen it So I've chosen a song by um, Damien Escobar. It's called Get Up and Dance. I chose that song, well, partly because it's just a fun song for the morning. And my partner and I listen to a lot of jazz and it's like one of our faves on the jazz playlist. But Damien Escobar himself has just an incredible story. And I just thought it was actually really relevant to entrepreneurship. He came from a really challenging part of New York um, and kind of got into Juilliard and contrary to what other people in those kind of communities achieve, um, became a violinist and had a a really cool career. But then that career then crashed. He was then homeless and sleeping on the subways. And then he rose up and did it all again and has now created a kind of second round amazing career. And I just think that example of determination and resilience is um, something that entrepreneurs and I think everyday people should develop that, that skill. So I thought that was really cool. That was Damien Escobar with Get Up and Dance, the song choice of my business shaper today, Claudine Adeyemi. She talked about transferring those skills from the law of problem solving and of building relationships into her brilliant new businesses. And really importantly, these businesses are all about, as she said herself, her overwhelming sense of duty to give back. And she even called it a calling. It doesn't get much better than that. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a fantastic weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.